Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Wednesday, and it's just it's just gonna be an incredible time. So 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we're read, uh, we're reading from this morning. You guys ready for the word today? All right, we are just kind of looking at some of the highs and lows of one of the prophets in the Old Testament, a guy named Elijah. And I think he's one of the two greater prophets from the Old Testament. And sure, there was Isaiah, who could easily argue for one of those spots just because of his writings, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. But a lot of people put Elijah as one of the two greater prophets in the Old Testament, and they put Moses there as well, and they put him in that category for something that took place actually in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell this story about Jesus is actually changed. He's, he's transfigured or transformed in front of kind of his three closest followers, Peter, James, and John. And while he's being transfigured, two Old Testament prophets appear, and it's Elijah and Moses. And, and one of the gospels says they're talking about how his exodus, about everything that he, he's going to go through. One other note about Elijah that kind of separates him from the rest is he did not experience death. Second Kings chapter two, don't need to turn there, I'm just giving you reference for it. Second Kings chapter two tells about Elijah being taken into heaven on a chariot of fire drawn by horses of fire. And so last week we set off in this adventure, really just kind of looking at one of the darker places in Elijah's life. He's feeling all the pressure of the moral decay that surrounds him. He takes on 850 prophets of false gods, and he wins. And that victory kind of triggered another chain of events, like Queen Jezebel, who was not Jewish, but she had married the Jewish king. She puts a bounty on his head. He's exhausted. He's poured out. He's run down. He's overwhelmed. And Elijah does what I think many of us would do, and I would certainly do that. He just runs away. He just runs off. First Kings chapter 19 is the story about how this great prophet Elijah, who didn't experience death, who had won a great victory over Baal and the prophets of Baal, how he kind of goes into this depression. And he finds himself in this cave. And I don't know about you, but our season of life, 2021, when we kind of thought, COVID was fading off into the rearview mirror, and then it comes back with a vengeance. And just kind of due to a lot of our circumstances that Elijah faced, ours feel very similar. It can feel kind of heavy too. Sometimes we find ourselves in our own version of our own cave. Feel like the moral climate around us is just continuing to decay. Sometimes it feels like those who follow God are less and less and fewer and fewer people are faithful to serve God. COVID's now impacting its third school year. Now, not only dealing with the concern of what happens if I get it or one of my kids get it or my parents get it or whatever, the risk of getting COVID, we know all too well how many of those stories go. Just this morning, a friend of mine from years ago passed away from COVID, and we just feel all of that weight. But then on top of all that, we have to fight about it. We have to fight about vaccines and masks. And Elijah just kind of gave in to all that pressure, and he's ran away. And he finds him... He just kind of responds to that pressure, and I, I'm tempted to respond to the pressure that way. Maybe you find yourself tempted to respond in the same way. Just look for an escape and just run away. But his issue don't just begin in 1 Kings chapter 17. I kind of started there last weekend. His issue actually begins thousands of thousands of years before 
in the beginning. Like you can find this story in Genesis, and I'll get to Genesis in just a second. I'm going to land in 1 Kings 19, but I'm going to put some other verses up on the screen for you. Like Colossians 1.16. For through Christ, through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made things we can see, things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. See, you and I were created for relationship. There's a couple of relationships we were created for. The first one is we were created to be in relationship with God, as Colossians 1.16 says. We were created through him, but we were also created for him. We were created for relationship with God, but we were also created for relationship with each other. This picks back up to Genesis in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, when God had created heavens and the earth and the moon and the sun and the fish, I don't know why cats were included, but they were. And then he looks down at the end of all that. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper who's just right for him. And boy, did God do good on that part. And all the men said, amen. Easy, right? So day one, God creates light. It was good. Day two, God's created the sea and the sky, and it was good. Day three, he made lands and plants, and it was good. And day four, he made the sun, the moon, the stars, and it was good. Day five, fish and birds, and it was good. Day six, he made animals and humans, and it was good. This is the only time in the creation narrative that God looked down and said, you know what, that's not good, is that man was alone. It's not good, so he fixed it, and God created another person, for Adam to be in relationship. Isolation at times is very needed. I'm going to talk about that some throughout this morning. Matter of fact, this is one of the things that God is pushing on me. Just find some time to sit quietly before the Lord. My personality just needs to go. It's easy for me to go. I need people, and I just, I, I like to just go, 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 go. You know, opposites attract. Jerry, she kind of leans the other way. She kind of needs more isolation. So opposites attract, and then they get married, and opposites attack, right? That's here or there. But too much isolation is it's not good for us. I mean, there's a time and a place for isolation, but sometimes it, it, it's not good for us. We're created for relationship. God looked down, and he saw Adam was alone, and he said, that's, that's not good. So regardless of your personality type, regardless of your preference, some of you prefer cats over humans. You're broken. That's wrong. That's like, I don't even know. We'll pray for you later, you know? I, I get it. Some people are energized by people. I'm one of those. Sometimes some people are de-energized by people. Like you, you find just rest for your soul, just not having to deal with people. I understand that. Neither of those are right. Neither of those is wrong. Those are all created in the image of God. God made both of us, but we are made for isolation and relation. We're made for both. We need to find rhythms and patterns to do that. And so whichever one you naturally enjoy, if you naturally enjoy being around people and you just give into that and lean into that and you're just always around people, that can get unhealthy. But if you're naturally lean towards isolation and don't like people and just find yourself alone and, and you constantly take that path of least resistance, that can get unhealthy too. And so we just have to manage our relationships. We have to manage our life. If I prefer isolation, I can go too far that way. If I prefer people, I can go too far that way. So um, the relationship pieces in our lives kind of have to be evaluated, and that's what today is about. It's really what we're going to do is just kind of really kind of look at these 
connections or relationships that God's provided for us and just kind of evaluate, how am I doing in those areas? This is why God looked down at Adam when he was alone and he said, it's not good. First Kings chapter 19, we're just gonna be here the next couple of weeks because I think there's a lot in this story that we can dig out because I sometimes find myself in a cave. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, which means he left the country. He was in Israel. He leaves the country, goes to Judah, which is their neighboring country to the south, and he left his servant there in that town of Beersheba. Verse four says, then he went on alone into a wilderness, traveling all day, sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. He left his servant there. He went on alone. I, I get it. I'm not judging in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I do that. I need to do that sometimes. Sometimes I need those times of isolation. I just need to be alone with myself and my emotions. But put in this context, Elijah is running. And so we need to know the difference between retreating and running. My mentor a long time ago says we need to work and work hard. We need to rest faithfully, weekly, and then we need to have times where we retreat. We need to know the difference between retreating and running. In a battle, you can retreat just to kind of save the day, but if you take off and you're running away from the conflict, that's not good. And so I'm not going to call what Elijah does as a mistake. It just happens. He's, he's just kind of giving into that pressure. He's giving into those emotions. He's just alone. Here's where the issue comes because in the next sentence, you see that he's in an emotional bad place. He's in a pretty dire state, if you will. And he said, Lord, just, I'm, take me. I'd just rather die. I'm no better than anybody that's ever lived. And so, Lord, I've just had enough. And then God speaks to him. And we're going to unpack this. I'm not going to read the whole story today. I encourage you in the next few weeks, just spend some time in 1 Kings 19. There's a lot here. I want to jump down to verse 15. It says, Then the Lord told him, Go back to the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be the king of Aram. Aram was not a Jewish state. It was a neighboring state. Then anoint Jehu, the grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. He will actually take Ahab and Jezebel's place. And then anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abimelech. You don't know, just swallow it a little bit, right? And so to replace you as my prophet. He's like, man, get a team. Get some people around you. But the very last sentence of verse 16 is what's important. He says, go get Elisha. You got Elijah and Elisha. Go get Elisha to come along with you, to be a co-laborer, to be a peer, and then he will actually succeed you. So Elijah, you're kind of the mentor. Elisha is going to learn from you. But just get some people around you. So this morning, I want to talk about three types of relationships. I'll refer to them as connections, but three types of relationships. And then there's a fourth that will apply to some of us in the room, but it doesn't apply to all of us. And I'm just going to evaluate, how am I doing in these connections? How am I doing in these relationships? And the first one is the social connection, the social relationships that are around us. We just need people. We need people to have fun with. We need people to meet for dinner. We need people to be on a ball team with. We need people to work with. We need people to go to school with. And really, this is a base entry level of relationships, right? I mean, these can be friends, but they can also be acquaintances. It's just, it's out of this place that we develop deeper relationships, but there's just this social connection. That's what this room is. I mean, for a lot of you, hey, I recognize you, saw you at the game the other night. I mean, there's social connections. We need people that we enjoy and have fun with in our life. 
but the person you have fun with may not be the person you want to start a family with. I'm just going to put that out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're a good time, but I don't want to raise kids with them. You know what I'm saying? I can be friends with you. I can even be unequally yoked with you. In matter of fact, it's out of this space that we can reach people for the gospel. It's out of this place of the social connection that that we can have that conversation, tell people about the impact of Jesus in our own lives, and we can invite coworkers to come to church, or we invite schoolmates to, to come to church, or people on our kids' softball, baseball team, or whatever. The gospel in and itself is powerful. There are so many stories of where the gospel alone is enough to lead somebody to Christ, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But the gospel at work in our lives is the greatest tool that we have to tell other people about Jesus. That, that Jesus really did change me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was a mess, but now I'm a little bit better mess. You know what I'm saying? And so just the gospel at work in us is the greatest tool that we have to point people to the cross of Christ. And it's in this space, it's in this social connection that we can reach people for the gospel of Christ. Amen, everyone? Everyone needs someone to enjoy life with. And so you have social connections, but that also has its limits. Which I would, if we're going to evaluate, how are your social connections? Are they healthy? Are they good? I mean, you may be an isolator, and you know you need to do better at this. Like, ah, people wear me out, right? Or you can be too out of balance. You're trying to do too much. You're too busy. Maybe you're asking too much of your social connections. I mean, just keep in mind, this is just a base, but, but you're asking those people to to, to be at a different level or a different place in relationship that we're going to talk about, and it's just not healthy. It's just frustrating. And so maybe that's out of balance, which leads us to the other connection. So the first one is the social connection. The second one is the submitted connection. And there's probably a better way to say it, but it just starts with the letter S. So we're going to roll with it. Me and Sesame Street today, you know what I'm saying? As kids and adolescents, this is pretty easy because... We have parents that we're supposed to be submitted to. I expected one parent to say amen, but it's fine. You do you. You know what I'm saying? Like, as kids, we're, we're submitted to our parents and to our teachers and to our coaches. But we all need relationships of high trust that we can submit ourselves to. Mentors. But sometimes, even in your situation, it, it's, it's peers. And when I talk about submission, I'm talking about just a place of vulnerability, of high trust, I love you, I trust you, and I'm gonna give you some permissions in my life. It's somebody that, hey, just love me enough, and, and I'm gonna trust you enough that you can say the hard things to me, really? And, and I promise that if you have to challenge me or say something, I'm really gonna try to wash my facial expressions. You know what I'm saying? I'm really gonna try not to get defensive because I can get defensive with the best of them, right? But as I look at you and I see in your life, I see what you are, I see what you have, I see the relationships you have, I like that. And so I'm gonna submit my life to you. I realize that I need some of what you've discovered and I need some of what you've learned and some of you walked through. And so I'm just gonna have this submitted, almost mentor type relationship I'm asking you, I'm giving you permission, really, to speak into me. My mentor, and I mentioned him earlier, he and I ain't going snow skiing together. First of all, he'd probably kill himself, you know? That, that might be a social thing. But I'm going to buy him lunch. 
I'm going to ask him questions. I want to get to know how he thinks. I mean, he's got 20 plus years of experience on me. And so I, like, I'm just going to say, hey, I did a thing. Coach me through this. Hey, I've got a tough conversation. Help me through this. Hey, I've had a tough day of ministry. Man, this is what I did or this is what I'm facing. And, and so that's, that's a different relationship than a social relationship. That's a coaching relationship. That's a relationship that I have submitted to. And I'm going to listen to what you have to say. But even in my peers, I have some of that. Like if you were to walk up and ask me, Brent, who are these two relationships? I would give you two names instantly. And then I've got this group of pastors that are tribe that we also have this mutual submission and this mutual role of accountability. And I've asked them, guys, personally, right now in the season of life I'm in, I'm just really, really struggling. I feel like the Lord is impressing upon me to be still and know that he is God. And I'm just finding myself in go mode way too much. Like, I need some time just to quiet my soul. And I'm not good at this. And my life and my schedule oftentimes kind of resembles an Asian fire drill, if you're gonna be politically correct about it, right? So, so you can think, oh, well, that's good and that's productive, or oh, that's good, you need to be involved. And, and, and you can go, 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 and you can pour out. But when all you do is pour out and all you're doing is giving out, there's nothing filling you in. And so with my tribe, with my pastors, and one of them, every time he sees me, he does what I've asked him to do. And I'm like, guys, hey, I need your help here. Don't let me make excuses because I'm a professional excuse maker. And, and don't let me justify my behavior because they're all good things. But how many of you know good things can keep you from your great things, right? I just need you to remind me. Okay, well, you asked for it. You're too busy. Man, why did I do that? You know what I'm saying? So if somebody from a social connection walks up to you from work and goes, hey, you're too busy, you're kind of like, okay, thank you, bye-bye. You know? Tell me. But it's, it's this submitted connection. You know what I'm saying? I've given you permission to speak into my life because I've seen something in you that, that I need. Let me give you a real spiritual word. We call it discipleship. When someone I have submitted to, they say something, I, I need to act on it. Kind of a salad bar here. I mean, a sidebar. I mean, this is free, right? So don't ask for it if you're not going to do it. Oh, man, I need you to mentor me. Okay, well, let's start with stop cussing at your wife. Bye. You know, don't, don't, don't. If you're looking for cheerleaders, go find cheerleaders, but don't ask your peers and mentors. Don't waste your time. Don't waste their time. So many people are looking for sympathies. They're not looking for solutions. I'm glad y'all amen it. I'm a little better about myself. I didn't know how that was going to go over. Like I thought somebody was going to get up and walk out. I don't know. We all need someone that you can call it accountability. You can call it peer. You can call it mentor. Call it discipleship. Um, I call it the mustard principle. Uh, we've all been in those settings, maybe at work or social connection circle, right? And get up and go to the bathroom and you realize that you have mustard in your eyebrows. Like, how did I get mustard in my eyebrow? What was I doing with my life? You know what I'm saying? And you had a big old mayonnaise streak down your face and you're like, <gasps> who all saw this? Like, did the general manager of the store see that? You know, you're like going through, oh my Lord, right? How long has that been there? And you're just embarrassed and 
you realize in that moment you're sitting at a table with a circle of people that don't know you well enough to know how you're going to respond if they go. Now, your mama, mama's going to go, dear. You know, she ain't subtle. You know, if there's a cup of water on the table, mama's going to grab the napkin and dip it in the cup of water, and you get in a sponge bath. If there's no cup of water, she's going to use spit. Like, mom, we're not cats. Stop it. You know, sorry, that's gross. Right. But you're sitting at a table. I, I call it the mustard principle. Like, I love you, and I will be the guy. I will, dude, I love you. You got mustard, like, right there. You know what I'm saying? And then we always wipe the wrong cheek. No, it's on the other side. We need submitted relationships in our lives that know us well enough. Why did you get that in your eyebrow? I don't even. How are you doing in this area? Like if you ask me, I'll tell you, Paul and Seth, both of those guys. I have other pastors, Pastor Sean, Pastor Taryn, other tribe guys. Every time Pastor Seth sees me, he goes, you're too busy still. <clears throat> Stop it. How are you doing? Can you immediately answer who your person is? Who's your submitted relationship? Can you, you have that person? We all need number three, spiritual connection. Now, you keep using this word connection. Let me just kind of clarify some things. I'm losing it very loose here. Um, I don't want you to think this is some kind of soulmate thing. Oh, dude, I'm so spiritually connected to you. That's weird. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. You're creeping me out with that. That's not the thing here. It's, it's the spiritual relationship that's better, right? We all have those connections, those relationships in our life that we're on a similar spiritual journey. We're growing, we're serving, we're struggling, we're giving, we're worshiping, we're growing. We're, we're, we're just kind of on this similar spiritual journey that we're doing. This is what Hebrews talks about, verse 10, 24, because even though our journey may be similar, I may be on an upswing, you may be down on a downswing. And it says, let us think of ways we can motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Like, Spiritual relationships are important. Church should be a thing. And I'm, I'm, my fear is that COVID is really going to disrupt some patterns for some people. That it's just easy to blame COVID on everything. It was at McDonald's the other day, 15 minutes in the drive-thru. Oh, COVID, good gosh almighty. COVID's back there making cheeseburgers. What are you doing? Okay, and so, like, don't neglect your spiritual relationship. Don't neglect meeting together as some people do. But let's encourage one another, especially now, especially in 2021. I mean, they thought Jesus was coming back then. He's really coming back now. Like, especially now, let's encourage one another. Church needs to be a place that Walt Disney comes to learn how to be the happiest place on earth. Like, we should be so encouraging each other, cheering each other on, celebrating life together. This is just hard to do is it makes me get past myself, and I don't want to get past myself. I like me. And to do this, I have to think about you before I think about me. Corinthians says it this way, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So this is what Elijah was missing. I get it. There are days you just, you just need a day. There are days we just need to be left alone. But 40 days, that's a pretty long season. Going to another country, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. 
And Elisha did not have a submitted relationship in his life. There was not this fear. There was not this mutual submission thing. And he didn't have any spiritual relationships in his life. And he finds himself all alone under a solitary broom tree saying, God, I'm just ready to die. And when we're alone, we don't. The reason why this is so important is because we don't have those counter voices. We don't have something countering the thoughts that our minds can muster up, right? Our minds just kind of go wherever they want to, and, and our minds can go to pretty negative places. They don't need me. They don't like me. Nobody wants me. I guess I need God, just take me. I'm, I'm the only one. And if I'm alone and I don't have someone else to counter that, and I say, I'm an only one, I'm the, I'm the only person here, what well, kind of proves the narrative? Because there's nobody else there, right? I have no one there to say differently. I have no one there to counter that thought. No way, man. We're right here with you too. We are in this together. When I by myself and I say no one appreciates me, right? There's no other voice there to go, man, that's not true. I love you and I appreciate all that you do. And there's a lot of people that are around you. Myself is at the top of the list and that I appreciate you. It's when I'm in isolation and I'm like, oh, my life stinks. There's not another voice there to tell you a different tale. There's not another voice there to counter the lie from the enemy. There's no voice of reason in that unreasonable moment. It says, I know this is hard, but man, as painful as it is, there's a silver lining. I know this is a tough spot, but God says that all things, including the tough stuff, can work together for good. Let's just lock arms and trust God together. This is a reason relationships are really important. So they can see for you when your emotions have clouded your sight, that they can remind you of the good things when your memory is dark. And there's just something about knowing I'm not alone. There's just something about I'm not the only I mean, the statistics about depression and anxiety are a little bit heavy, but there is a silver lining in that, that you're not alone. And the enemy wants to convince you that you're the only one. You're the one that's broken. Everybody else is happy. Just look at their Instagram. Everybody else is so fulfilled. And just look at And the truth is, no, you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses that struggle just like you struggle. I mean, the statistics, and I read them last week, one in nine. Right now, people are on depression or anxiety medication, but one in five have been at some point. You're not the only one. So in 1 Kings 19, he was gone for 40 days alone. He's in his cave, and God speaks to him. And we're going to unpack this in the coming weeks. But God basically says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And you'll notice as you read this story, he asked him that question twice just because I think he wanted Elijah to say it twice. I think he wanted Elijah to hear himself say it out of his mouth. This is what I know about me. I don't know this about you, but I know this about me. Sometimes the more I tell a story, is it more silly or sillier? Sillier, isn't it? The more I tell a story, the sillier it sounds. The more I tell the narrative, the more I tell my side, the more it comes out of my mouth, the more I hear myself say it, it really kind of loses its dramatic effect, right? Well, you know, he said this about me. I mean, then he told her I was a cotton-headed ninny-muggins. I don't know. Like, 
Jerry did this, Jerry said that, and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on right now, you know what I'm saying? And the more I say it out loud, it just loses its dramatic effect. About the 13th time I've said it, like, I stop, stop, you sound silly. But me, I'm telling the story, you know what I'm saying? And God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Because he wanted him to hear it come out of his own mouth and say, because he wanted to address some of those stuff. Verse 14. This is Elijah speaking. He says, I have zealously served the Lord. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. And they've torn down your altars and they've killed every one of your, like they're all dead. I'm the only one. And now they're trying to kill me too. And God calls him out of his cave and he gives him instructions. He said, let's get some people around you. Let's go get you a spiritual and submitted relationship in your life, right? And then he says this in verse 18. Bruh. I mean, that's not in the Bible, but it's kind of like, dude, I still have 7,000 people in Israel. You don't even know about them. But they have never bowed down to Baal, and they have never kissed that idol. You are not alone. Just because I can't see you struggle, because I don't know about your struggle, doesn't mean you don't struggle. Just because I can't see inside your emotions doesn't mean your emotions never go south. And I'm not trying to have a group kumbaya pity party. Oh, what was that? Starlight? What I'm trying to say is some of you in here, the enemy is constantly telling you you're the only one that's broken. You're the only one that feels this way. Everybody else is so happy. Everybody else's life is so great. And I'm just here to tell you, you're not the only one. You're not the only one that's crazy. Okay? We're all a little bit crazy. And the enemy wants to push you towards isolation. The enemy wants you to buy the lie, you're the only one, and if I let people know what's really going on in here, nobody's gonna want anything to do with me, so I'll just save myself the pain of you rejecting me anyway, and I'm just gonna go over here, and I'm just gonna be isolated. You have to be careful with that. There are times we need isolation so that we can get alone with God, but there are times that is a dangerous place, much like Elijah, because his mental state went south way too fast. And so we need those social connections, we need those submitted connections, and we need those spiritual connections. For some of us, there's a fourth connection. I wanna dance on it for just a second, okay? And it's the spouse connection. And this isn't for everyone. Some people have a gift of singleness. Some of you right now are just in a state of singleness. And so I, the reason why I wanna clarify this is because I don't want you to think, oh, great. I'm incomplete. That's not true. God is enough for you in this season for where you are. And there may come a day that you get that fourth connection, that spouse connection. It's just maybe not right now. And just listen to the rest of what I'm going to say, and you're going to go, oh, thank God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm in this alone. I'm fine. I'm fine. Right? So when this is managed well, when this is protected well, there's nothing more beautiful than a spouse connection. Because this can do for you what the other three connections can't do. Okay? But there are things the other three can do that this one can't. Your spouse can like, we put too much pressure on it. Your, your spouse connection does have some limitations, okay? And yes, there is a spiritual connection with your spouse, right? I mean, that's the principle of being equally yoked. You know, we wanna raise our children with Jesus at the center of our lives. We wanna 
raise our children with a biblical worldview, right? There's also this mutual submission that's throughout the scripture that, yes, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but you need to be mutually submitted one to another. But let me just be clear, your spouse is not your mentor. And you ain't your spouse's mentor. Just going to throw that out there. Jerry and I, we are horrible accountability partners. It just does not work out well. Like, okay, this week, we're going to eat better. We're going to work out three days this week, right? And this happens. Well, if you're not going to work out, I'm not going to work out. Okay? We're driving down the road. Where are you going? Going to Chick-fil-A? We just ate. Not a peach shake, we didn't. Oh, well, get me one too. You know what I'm saying? That's just, we're, we're horrible. I know I'm having fun here. It's way too easy if your spouse is your only accountability for that to turn into a fight. God created marriage for completion, not correction. There are times we have to have hard, loving conversations. Okay. But your spouse is for completion, not correction. And the reason why I bring this up is because some of us are putting way too much pressure on the spouse connection because we don't want to deal with the other three. Okay, I'm done. Thank you guys. Have a good one. I mean, you can't church this for that, right? Like we're putting way too much pressure on our spouse to fill all these other areas of our life, and they're not. Their, their role is to be the spouse relationship. Their role is to be the spouse connection because I don't want to deal with social or I don't want to deal with, you know, the submitted or the spiritual. I'm just going to put all that pressure on you, and your spouse is not created to carry that pressure. You don't want to jump into the other three, so you just put all that pressure on number four, and over the long haul, this is just not healthy. And so that's, that's why it takes this circle around us, why it takes social relationships, why it takes submitted relationships to help us grow and get better. It's why it takes spiritual relationships, but we're on this journey together. We're created for two types of relationships. People, we've talked about those four connections, but we're also created for a relationship with God. Everything was created through him, but everything was created for him. You were created to be in relationships. And so today we're evaluating those four people relationships, but also a good day to evaluate your relationship with God. And it's crazy to me how those two, our relationship with people and our relationship with God, how they overlap, you know? If your relationship with God is not good, we get grumpy. I'm just saying, I get grumpy. But when my relationship with people is not good, sometimes I can get frustrated with God. So where are you today? And what, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? What relational void is in your life today? Elijah went running. 40 days alone, sat there under a solitary broom tree, and prayed that he might die because he was alone. And God gave you and I this beautiful gift called the church, the bride, the body. We're all a part of it. Some are the ears, some of the eyebrows, 
in the armpits, fine. I even think this past week, it's been a beautiful picture. Because we rejoice with those who rejoice, but we also mourn with those who mourn. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us today. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us today? There's some of us right now, Lord, that are making excuses and yeah, but. Or maybe we're genuinely feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I, I've, I've got some pockets I need to fill. I've got some holes relationally connected that I need to evaluate and I need to fill. Because God, I know through my years of life, you've used people to challenge me, change me, correct me, encourage me, lift me up. Father, we today, we don't wanna, we don't wanna find ourselves in Elijah's cave. We don't wanna find ourselves in that place of isolation where our mental state is just dire. And so let us feel the weight, let us feel the importance of having good, healthy, relationship circles in our life. And take the step that the Holy Spirit's asking us. Hey, thanks for watching this sermon on our Hillspring YouTube channel. If you enjoyed it, take just a moment, hit that subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single thing. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you want to help reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv. Hit that Give Now button to help us carry the hope of Christ around the world. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.